Ecclesiastes 2. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. 
So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all their own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Brad. Well, I wonder who it is that knows how to ruin something that you love. Uh, is it a spouse, a sibling, a friend, uh, or, or was it a parent? Uh, someone who just can knows how to put a pin in your favourite balloon. Uh, I think of young mums uh, who treasure that moment in the constant throes of feeds, the constant re requirement of attention, the continued lack of sleep. They just treasure that four minutes in the shower by themselves. But of course, what happens? The baby cries, and then the toddler finds them, has a really important set of questions for them. You know, it's, uh, uh, it, it almost feels like a conspiracy uh, that they're trying to take away something, the one thing you love. I've got a friend who watches the State of Origin at the gym. Uh, he's not a gym junkie, but he just knows it. If he, uh, if he watches it at home, there's people that will come around him at home and ask him lots of questions and talk over the commentary. Uh, and so instead, he watches the State of Origin at the gym, pedalling very slowly on a bike for two hours. Uh, perhaps you haven't heard that idea before. You might be at the gym too. Uh, now, people uh, you know, uh, whether intentionally or not, know how to often ruin something that you love. And uh, the book of Ecclesiastes that we started last week has that same ability uh, to, to kind of just put a pin in the things that you love. Uh, it's as if um, the writer of Ecclesiastes lines up the balloons that you love and just walks along the line, putting a pin in each of them. The first one, pleasure, we'll see today. The second one, wisdom, pop. Uh, the third one, all you're working for, pop. And uh, 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 the Though I guess, as we remember last week, it's not much of a surprise, is it, that that would be the effect. Uh, last week, I was saying that as you uh, listen to Ecclesiastes, you might feel like you've sat next to that guy at the wedding, right? Um, uh, but um, I, I wonder if you've felt a bit like that today again as Brad read that for us. Um, as I mentioned last week, remember that we're listening here to a teacher who is also a king. 
he's a wise teacher who's conducting a grand experiment uh, with a scientist's accuracy and a, a book full of blank checks. Um, the scope of this experiment is under the sun. Uh, that is this side of heaven in the here and now. Uh, and this wise king shares with you wisdom. Uh, and this wisdom comes with a weight. It comes with a heaviness uh, because the repeated conclusion uh, is that life is transient or, or fleeting. NIV says meaningless, but remember the word literally means breath or vapor. Uh, that, that weight of the truth that life is breath short. Uh, and it's a heavy truth. It's burdensome. And as we saw last week, uh, the only way to move past that transient is by access to God. Um, remember those two postures towards God, uh, the posture recognising God as the creator, the giver of good gifts, and recognising him with thankfulness, and also the recognising God as the judge, the coming eternal judge. Uh, so recognising the need to follow his commands and being aware of our need for forgiveness when we don't. And so it's with that understanding we come back to Ecclesiastes, uh, and we come to Ecclesiastes 2, and we submit our dreams, uh, what we love uh, for this teacher of wisdom uh, to speak into. Uh, when you uh, uh, look at the way that social media is reported or when you look at social media, you, it seems like... Uh, what you're looking at there is everyone living the dream. Uh, it, it's funny. Uh, it's rare to watch a video on Facebook of someone doing the vacuuming or cleaning the toilet. You just don't see that, do you? Like it, it's, uh, it, instead, friends take photos of the meal that they've had or, or, or the holiday, holiday that they're enjoying or the exciting news they want to share. Uh, and when we see those dreams, it taps into our dreams. Uh, I'd like to live that dream, we think or say. Um, and it's worth just stopping, pausing and thinking, what is the dream that you're seeking to live? You might say, oh, Tom, I don't know so much of whether it's a dream. I'd just like to complete the renovation so life is just a bit easier. Or, you know, I don't know so much about the dream, living the dream, Tom, but I'd just love work to pay me a bit more money so that we can stop worrying so much about it. Um, or you might say, I'd settle for a holiday by the pool with a pina colada. That would that'd be that. That's all I need, right? That would be living the dream. Or maybe it's just that, that relationship that needs fixing. If you heard, I've just got to get that relationship fixed and then it'll be smooth sailing. Um, See, so I think each of us has some sense of what living the dream might be. Uh, and today I want to encourage you to submit that dream to this wise teacher, King. Um, today in particular we'll deal firstly with pleasure, secondly, wisdom, Thirdly, the dream of work. Uh, and then fourthly, we'll see how that posture of God uh, helps us as we reflect on the wisdom given here. Uh, so firstly, pleasure. Uh, I think even those of us here with the greatest imagination uh, couldn't have a dream that was bigger or grander than the dream of this teacher, King. Uh, have a look there uh, in the passage that Brad read, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, I said to myself... Um, uh, sorry, verse 1. Um, Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Um, here in doing this, the teacher looks so similar to our contemporaries on social media. His search for pleasure 
could have been written on today's social media. Uh, see, what does he say? Have a look here. He says, I cheered myself with wine. Uh, I built houses for myself. Uh, I planted vineyards. Uh, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I employed more staff than anyone. I also owned more flocks than anyone before me. Uh, I amassed silver and gold uh, for myself, treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired, I acquired more bands and uh, 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 models than anyone else. Uh, I, uh, I became far greater, uh, by, greater by far than anyone before me. I denied nothing my eyes desired. I didn't deny myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. See, what you've just seen there is what's pretty typical on social media. Um, if you look at Facebook posts and Twitter posts, this is what you see. Like if, if you took all of those posts out of them, out of uh, Facebook, the metaverse would implode. You know, the teacher is better placed than anyone I know to test pleasure. Uh, you might say, oh, look, Lord, I'd rather test pleasure myself, thanks. I'll do this test. Uh, but even if you said that, uh, it would be inconceivable that you had the resources to pull off what this teacher king is able to pull off. For a start, there's, for a start, there's laws against some of these things. Uh, so, so uh, And yet, maximising pleasure, uh, the king puts his hat on and tests it against the heaviness of wisdom, uh, particularly that idea of transience, that life is breath short and this is what he comes up with verse 11 yet when i surveyed all that my hands had done what i toiled to achieve everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun and that's the post that you don't see isn't it uh, uh, you'll notice in verse 10 uh, these pleasures still bring his heart delight in the moment but this pleasure project in light of the wisdom, everything is transient. Pfft. You know, uh, that pleasure passes quickly and the teacher is left looking back on it with that sense of emptiness. Uh, time has marched on and nothing really has changed for him. Uh, I'm sure you've read biographies of famous people where the same truth is borne out. You know, there's Jimmy Barnes living the dream. His biography reads like this too. Or Hollywood stars with all the cash and glamour that anyone collect. Each biography, this pleasure, was simply not lasting. And so the right question is way back there in verse 2. What does pleasure accomplish? The wisdom of Ecclesiastes is this. Pleasure is fleeting. It's transient. It doesn't last. So that's a good moment just to check in on our dream. Does my idea of living the dream hold up against the wisdom here? Should I be placing my weight on those expectations, my hopes, my dreams? Well, he goes on to say that if, if pleasures are fleeting, uh, what about the pursuit of wisdom? Is that more noble? Uh, so secondly, we'll have a look at the, 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 the dream of wisdom. Uh, I mean, last week we touched on this in chapter 1. You might remember verse 12. Uh, we had a look at verse 12 where he discusses that, 
that that purpose for wisdom. Uh, actually, flip back. We'll have a look at it now. Uh, 1 verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless at chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind, you might have heard that a few times as Brad read it. It's, it's that um, striving for the unattainable. Uh, and here in chapter 1, uh, he shows that the pursuit of wisdom is a bit like that. Um, life and circumstances have gaps. Um, there are some things that are broken without explanation in life. Uh, there are some things that are crooked in life that just cannot be straightened. Um, you can't logic your way around them. Uh, it's an acknowledgement that there isn't always a discernible logic to the way that things go. And so in chapter 2, the teacher takes up the problem of wisdom. Uh, his conclusion is to attempt to solve the problem of wisdom. And here is his conclusion as he holds up uh, wisdom against the trans, this, uh, this wisdom of the transient life against wisdom. Have a look at verse 16 of chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16. For the wise, like the fool, will not be remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. His logic here is what is the point of being wise? Because no matter whether you're wise or foolish, in the breath-short existence of life, both end up in the same place. It's worth noticing here, uh, I think we noticed this last week, that wisdom is better than foolishness. He acknowledges that. Uh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 14, the wise have eyes in their head and the fool walks in darkness. But he does realise, doesn't he, in verse 14, that the same fate overtakes them both. The the wise live with their eyes open and there's some benefit to walking around with your eyes open. I'm sure you'd agree with that. But the same fate overtakes the wise and the foolish. It's a bit similar to the pleasure project, isn't it? in that there's genuine pleasure to be had in the moment, but that's not lasting. And and so with wisdom, there's genuine wisdom to be had. But because the breast short existence of life, that too is limited. And so there's something here for the person who dreams of being the smartest in the room. There's something here for the students, even the more college student ministers. There's something here for the people who long to be heard, long to be listened to, long to be respected. More wisdom, like pleasure, is actually fleeting. It's transient. It's funny, uh, my friend Luke, who goes to the 930 congregation, alerted alerted me to this. He said, look at what the universities promise in their advertising. They promise that studying at their institution uh, will lead to significance. Uh, University of Queensland said, uh, tagline was, create change. Uh, UTS says, think Change Act. The wise teacher of Jerusalem says, sure, but don't forget it won't last. Uh, There's no sense of the limitedness of time in these promises, are there? 
uh, at the University of Western Sydney, as it was when it was still called that, had a campaign that was summed up in one, one word, unlimited. Where is the teacher? The king of Israel says the opposite is true. And we recognise when we are wise that we are actually limited by this breath short time. This is heavy stuff, isn't it? It's, this is weighty wisdom as it applies to our life, isn't it? Um, particularly uh, for those who value wisdom and value being wise and want to share wisdom. And the teacher comes in and wields his heavy stick, this breath-short existence, making all of our pursuits look so limited and contained and passing. And yet, I continue to invite you to submit your dreams to this teacher, uh, your dreams of seeking pleasure or seeking wisdom, uh, and submit to your dream of toil, your work, what you're labouring for. Because, and that's the third point, um, uh, our, our, our labours, our work. He asked the question in verse 22, what do get people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Back in verse 20, we see he is despairing at this point. Uh, it's not just confined to work here. This is the, the, uh, the, it's a continuation of the passage about pleasure, but it's all the projects, all the results, all the results of our effort and our wisdom. Um, that's the idea of toil. And he says, well, what is toil for? What are you toiling for? What's the, what's the object you're trying to reach? And his reflections end in pain. Uh, uh, this has got to do with wisdom, particularly in the next generation. Uh, that is, he's saying, all that you've toiled for, you are handing it over to someone who hasn't worked for it and someone who might very likely be irresponsible with all that you've worked for. Uh, have a look at verse 18. Uh, he said, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. So again, we see this breath-like shortness of life cuts across every endeavour and it leaves the teacher king despairing. His heart is heavy with this truth. So what are we left with? Is there anything that is not bound by breath shortness of life? You ready for some good news? Yes. Well we get some, right? Have a look at uh, verse 24. And this brings us, fourthly, to the posture that we deal with this wisdom in. Have a look at verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can, who can eat or find enjoyment? That is, the only way out of this fleeting existence is by being in connection with God, who is the giver of good gifts. 
Um, you notice just the difference in what the hands are doing in verse, verse 11 and verse 24. Uh, you see it's his hand in verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what my all achieved, and then you go back to verse 24, you see this too is from the hand of God for without whom who can find enjoyment. That is, the, it's a gift of God that brings meaning and significance. Uh, by my hand there is pleasure, but it's fleeting. But by the eternal giver's hand, uh, by God's hand, there is pleasure and benefit for our generation and generations to come. The gifts keep coming. Uh, see, he gives toil, he gives enjoyment of life, he gives wealth, he gives honour, he gives the very days of our life, he gives wisdom, he gives uh, both the method for finding wisdom and the result of wisdom. This is all a gift from God's hand. And it's wisdom to accept our lot in life, even when you see other lo others' lots might be a lot easier. But it's wisdom to accept this lot, not out of, out of resignation, but actually out of affirmation that a life lived under God can be meaningful and enjoyable especially so in the brevity of life. And of course, the rest of Ecclesiastes has that reminder that in your transience, recognize the eternal judge before you meet him. Uh, and so we return to this Godward posture. Uh, we're to look to him as the giver of every good gift. And it's as we look to him as the giver uh, that we respond to him with thankfulness and that we ourselves are growing in contentment with all his good gifts. Let me just end this sermon with a story. Uh, you build a boat to travel the Pacific Islands. Uh, you've worked hard at building this boat. Uh, it's been your second job. Every spare hour, every spare minute has gone into this boat. And so... In your dream, you have in your mind's eye, you can see sailing along the waters, hearing the wind fill the sails, your bare feet on the, the planks that you've built and polished and cut. Uh, and finally, after years of blood, sweat and tears, the boat is good to go. You reconnect with an old friend you used to sail with. He invites you to do a tri trip in the Pacific on his boat. You're immediately inclined to say, no. But he invites you onto his boat. It's got a larger cabin than your boat. It's got better fishing technology. You're going to eat better. It's got um, better automated sail technology and backup generators. So what do you say? You still say no, don't you? I built my boat. I want to sail it around the Pacific Islands. Then your friend asks you to look over your boat. Uh, and he, he, as he looks over your boat, he clearly knows boats. Very gently and very pleasantly, he shows you the five areas of your boat that you've built that make it unseaworthy. Your boat won't make it out of the Sydney Heads. It dawns on you that your dream can't possibly float. Uh, you could say it vaporises. Uh, this dream that you've put every spare second and cent into will not float. Friends, that is actually what the book of Ecclesiastes does to us. Uh, when you recognise the breath-short existence 
of life. We recognize that everything we've been plowing time and effort and love and energy is actually vaporous and transient. Um, pleasure, wisdom, the fruit of our efforts, it's all pfft. And that's heavy. It's a heavy truth to contend with, isn't it? And yet the encouragement is to connect with eternity through connecting with the giver of good gifts. And, and so with this posture of Godward thanks, we move out of that transient impermanence to be part of something bigger that God has been working on for years and part of a plan that God is working towards in his son Jesus. And so we recognise that breath short life cuts across pleasure, it cuts across wisdom, it cuts across our work. But we become part of something bigger as we turn towards God in thanks. Let me close in prayer for us. Uh, dear Father in heaven, we recognise that so often we go about what is important to us without reference to you. Uh, we try to find significance in our projects, in our endeavours, forgetting to recognise them as gifts from you. And so, Father, we thank you for involving us in your eternal plan. Uh, thank you for your plan to bring about meaning and justice unmarred by sin in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. And by your spirit, please inspire us to contentment in all you give. Inspire us to thankfulness that truly recognises your generosity towards us. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.